0: their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the
2: Kudzu Vine for August 5th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
2: And welcome Tim Shiflett.
0: Good evening, sir.
2: All right, big show tonight. Coming on in about 20 minutes, um, Lieutenant Governor Candidate of Georgia, Sarah Riggs Amico will join us and tell us about her campaign. Hadn't had a candidate interview in a while, so this seems like this will be a real good one. A statewide candidate who really got some positive poll number news um, this week. And so that will be coming up in just a little bit. Um, But before we get to any political topics, uh, Tim, you know, if I get any bug problems going on at my house, it seems like you're going to have a little free time to use all that knowledge you've built up Uh, for these many uh, years. It's your um, place yeah. to work. Uh, let, happy retirement.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let let me let me quickly say I am retired, and I never want to hear the words "integrated pest management" in a sentence again. <laughs> okay, so there there we are. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, I did want to um, note that big retirement since uh, a lot of people had wished you well on Facebook. I thought, well, I'm gonna use our uh, podcast platform to do so and katherine if you want to <laughs> well, in. Yeah.
3: yes congratulations tim i'm thrilled Thank- for you i know you'll have you have a lot of plans ahead and a-, a lot of plans maybe a lot of plans to do nothing the yeah and thing.
0: guys one of one of my plans is not to get up at two thirty a.m in the morning
3: <laughs> right. just
0: thought i would throw that out there <laughs> Yeah, that'll be
2: – I'll have to – if I, something comes up after 9 o'clock at night, sometimes i save it and text it the next morning. Now I feel like I might can um, text a little later. Uh, well, let's kind oh, of get yeah. into some show, and, and something that I had not even heard about when the rally happened, I actually heard about it uh, at the start of the weekend, uh, this new movement called QAnon. Um, and I'm like, what is this? And so – the more I found out about it, the more bizarre it got. Uh, to give you just a thumbnail sketch, apparently there is a um, person that calls themselves Q on the Internet that tweets and releases videos revealing all the secrets of the deep state. And according to them and on these message board, many of the Democratic leaders like President Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton – And Hollywood figures like Tom Hanks um, run some type of um, sex trafficking ring and uh, are all the time just doing terrible things all across America secretly. And the generals are now – have been trying to stop them, but now with Donald Trump in office, they can. And this Q person spreads this information – I would call it disinformation – And apparently then they went quiet for a while and somebody named R came along and said don't trust Q, but then Q said don't trust R. And at some point it sounded like when Sesame Street used to be sponsored by the letter Q and the number two, and it just got to be so bizarrely strange. Uh, Catherine, when did you hear about this and what are your thoughts on it?
3: I just heard about it, uh, I guess, you know, this week sometime um (laughs) reading about it was uh i I didn't really want to read anymore i felt like it was um it was just too strange Uh, it it's um sort of like a very it's a very elaborate conspiracy set of conspiracy theories that um you know sometimes those conspiracy theories are um You can sort of find a thread that um, leads to something like, oh, I get it. They took this fact and they carried it to the, you know, all these extremes and came up with this conspiracy theory. Right. But this one, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any thread of reality in any of it. And uh, it's just crazy. I, I hate to even give it any attention, but I mean, it's it's prominent now, so I guess we have to talk about it. What do you think? Yeah, man? and
2: Catherine, I, I'm I'm going oh, to uh, frame it for Tim, and I thought the same exact thing. If it were like five people, no matter how wacky they were and how goofy it sounded and it could be interesting to make fun of them, I wouldn't even brought it up. But I mean, apparently like their Reddit board has 50,000 members, and there are bunches of people Wearing these Q shirts to Trump rallies And whatnot. Yeah. So at that point I thought well let's go ahead And we've got to discuss this Because it seems like now it's gotten Some mainstream attention Because it kind of had to And it's going to only grow I think Kim do you think it will (laughs) grow?
0: Let's see Let's let's look at what they're saying It's is the conspiracy theory, a very nutty one, that says, among other things, that the Russian investigation is not real because Robert Mueller and the president are actually working together to expose thousands of pedophiles. And they're also <laughs> going to put the Clintons and President Obama in jail for what I have no idea. The Alabama – now, follow me on this one, guys. The Alabama special Senate election was lost on purpose in order to expose voter fraud orchestrated by George Soros. I I mean, that's for real. They said that. Uh, A lot of Trump supporters believe all of this. It's just crazy, but – I I, I guess it convinces its proponents that Trump has everything under control. Everything is great. It's all the perfect plan. I think it is a thing. I think it'll be popular. I think it'll be popular to sell the T-shirts. I think because of the Internet presence and the ever-present Q, whoever that is, it'll get a life of its own and – but but it's crazy. How do crazy things get a life of their own about this? But, but I, I guess in this country now, it, it, it happens, right, guys? I don't know what. To well, play. the other
3: piece of it, part of it that I thought was, you know, utterly ridiculous was that like misspellings and misinformation in um, the president's tweets are signs; they're intentional. Signs to the QAnon Q- people that that confirm some kind of information or something like th- th- they're all it's all connected, you know. So the, uh, any spelling errors or like misinformation is intentional to you know give them uh, additional clues. Crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah,
3: speaking of
2: spelling errors, maybe I am Q means I am (laughs) quasi, Q-U-R-A-Z-Y. Maybe that's intentional misspelling. Um, But, you know, it kind of, there's another thing. We've talked about it more offline than we have on the show, but the flat earth movement has kind of gained traction in recent years, or at least it's people have come out, more in public, and they have a convention where they have this whole theory about how the Earth's flat, and the North Pole is the center of the world, and the South Pole surrounds the entire, uh, I'm scared to say, planet or globe or any of those round Earth worlds, like most science and educated people believe, but um, in this box map that they show, Um, and I thought you know, this is so bizarre. Now, this is political, and I guess you could believe in one and not the other. But to me, this seems like the same type of twisted thinking to where you have to make things fit your agenda like the spelling errors and or the Robert Mueller investigation to where you um, twist everything to just so far beyond comprehension. Um, exactly,
3: you know… How does something like this take off, uh, Catherine? Well, I think it started with the Pizzagate, right? Seems like that was part of the root of it. Um, I don't don't know. Like, I guess people start reading this stuff and get carried away, and they get on Reddit, and then Reddit shut down the Pizzagate thread or whatever they call it on that. And then they opened up this new one, and now it's got, you know, 10 times more people than the – Original one did, I mean, I guess it's the you know, emails from your crazy uncle that you get, you know that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any crazy uncles. I'm glad to say. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I don't
3: know. I I remember
2: last last year I went to Washington D.C. We we're driving to the zoo up Connecticut Avenue, and I actually saw Comet Pizza. And was like, Ah, it's a real place and you know, and then I explained to my daughter who was thirteen <laughs> at the time this weird theory. I mean the whole time like these this is crazy. And she was like, Oh, this is totally crazy. Like, how do people believe it? Um, you know, that people were running a child molestation ring out of the bottom of a pizza parlor, uh, you know, in D C. Uh but and then the the guy and I explained how the person came up and was gonna shoot people and had a gun and it was just and just like, What a bunch of weirdos. And But you think if this key person, um, and they may be a puppet master that doesn't really believe what they're selling, but what if somebody acts on this in some kind of way? They pick one of these figures out because some of them may not have Secret Service protection or have private security like some of the Hollywood stars were. What if there's some mm-hmm. violence out of whatever this nonsense they're selling to
0: well, see, what if they turn that violence toward the most inviting target, one they can actually see and get their hands on, and and that's the media, and the president is not helping anything, you know, yeah. by whipping up this hatred for them, calling them the enemy of the people. Well, if they're the enemy of the people, then they fit right in with this conspiracy theory. And, you know, they're people we've got to watch and people we've got to do something about. You saw the videos, guys, of what happened. These people that are believing this sort of thing, this sort of just insanity that I was talking about. I mean, George Soros being involved in voter fraud, and they're going to catch him by purposely losing the Alabama special. Election for the U.S. Senate last December. I mean, it's just to us that is just nutty. And there's there's a growing crowd of people that believe this stuff. And they believe stuff like that. I, I, what will they do or say next? Uh, and it could lead to violence. Somebody could get hurt. We've already seen things get out of hand. We saw a, a car used as a weapon at Charlottesville, and somebody get killed there. This. this this stuff has got to slow down. It, it it's it's got to cool down, but unfortunately I think those that are at the top that are driving this sort of thing are only gonna make it worse. And I, I really worry about what, what's gonna happen uh now. Yeah,
2: and and the me that those videos were different. And I will say this, the QAnon crowd seems a little different in their makeup than the people that were just rabidly cussing and threatening Jim Acosta, among others, of CNN. Um, but, I mean, you put the two factions together in the same place, who knows, they may start to get um, some of this uh, crazy information from QAnon and start reading this, and then they take their more vociferous attitudes, and, and it could get very violent very quick, Um those videos i mean do you think it was all words Catherine, or or how far away could these people be from you know charging members of the media you know at these trump rallies
3: crowd uh, a a combination crowd of these q and then these these other you know volatile groups could easily ramp up to to violence and and sort of a mob rule, um, riot. I, I can easily see that. And, um, especially if, um, the president is there because he just, you know, uh, riles them up so much that I could see, I mean, I, it, it's not hard for me to imagine, uh, a crowd getting out of control even without really coordinating just two rowdy, lie, um, volatile groups together at the same thing, at the same event, just feeding off each other without even um, coordinating. So it's frightening to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Well.
2: And and talking about this, um, that people have said, you know, after the the you know violent or the violent words directed at the media. Do you stop covering the events, or is that what Donald Trump wants, nobody covering them, nobody watching them? You know, the Washington Post, um, you know, democracy dies in darkness, or do you just let Fox News cover him? And um, what do you get out of that? Tim, what's the, the pros and cons of how you cover these rallies?
0: Well... First of all, you know, you, you, you've you got to cover the rallies. <laughs> Everyone does. I, I know Jim Acosta, you, you could look at his face and see that he was frankly very worried. Um, that it, are there pros and cons, guys? Because when the president of the United States goes to make a speech somewhere, a rally or, or whatever you want to call it, everybody's going, right? They're they're all gonna cover it, right? Yeah, it should be covered. They've yes. got to go. They've got they've got to go. So there, there's there's you, you know I don't know if we can divide it into pros and cons. They 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 are they are gonna be there. And to me the the cons right now are outweighing the pros. And the cons to me remain the very safety of people that are covering the rallies and i i don't i don't know where it's going to go or, or, or what they're going to do about it if again the president himself doesn't do something about it yeah
2: but i mean he, he's not going to have one of those john mccain moments where he's going to correct his um borders right. i mean that's the difference uh he's you know, whips them up. I mean, I mean, this is what he wants seemingly. Catherine, um, you know, what do you, do you risk it and cover it? Do you cover it in a different way? How do you, um, you know, sh- keep showing in particular these rallies?
3: Well, I think, I mean, I think they have to continue to go in some, in some format. I mean, I don't know if they'll start, you know, if um, the media will start having their own security which is scary, and it's just the idea that 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 would be needed, or if they figure out a way to sort of cover it in a more remote way, you know, if they have drones filming it, and then they're, you know, um, covering it, uh, the the commentary from afar, which is also scary that we're so... Divided that we can't even be in the same, the media can't even be in the same location as these uh, Trump supporters. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm sure the um, big media companies are thinking about it because they've got to worry about the security of their um, on-air staff and their support staff. So it's. I think it's very scary. It must be very scary for a Jim Acosta or any of these um, people who are out there covering the, these trump rallies it must be frightening mm-hmm. i would think yeah 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 I, I don't
2: i don't think we have time to get into it right now but um i do think that the logistics of media having their own security if it were armed security in a place where the secret service has a job. I, I, I think there's a lot of stuff you'd have to get through, and I'm not so sure the media would be allowed to have a, that kind of security force in a building where the president of the United States is. But, but I don't think right. we can completely no, unpack that right, right. It's now. Not,
3: it's not an easy, not an easy solution. But it seems like that yeah. must be the kind of thing that they're considering figuring it out. Yeah.
2: Well, definitely say. So. Well, let's go ahead and uh, I think we've covered this, and it's time to transition anyway. In a good way, because we're excited, because I believe our guest is with us. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine, Miss Sarah Riggs-Amico, candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Georgia.
1: Hey, good evening. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with y'all.
2: Oh, glad to have you. Um, well, you've been the nom- Democratic nominee for quite some time, because you didn't have to uh, win a runoff. You won it uh, on primary day. Uh, so, but still, I'm sure people, uh, not all of our listeners may know your background, so just start off, um, give us a little bit about your bio.
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Rigzamico. Uh, I grew up in a small town in the Ozarks in southwest Missouri, went to public schools, and um, got a great education, and the kind of education that you're supposed to be able to get in your public schools that gives you the opportunity to realize your potential. Uh, that potential took me to Washington and Lee University, where I studied politics. The irony is not lost on me there. Um, and I had the incredible opportunity to go from Washington and me to do my master's in business administration at the Harvard Business School. Um, so not too shabby for a girl from the Ozarks. Um, after I left business school 15 years ago, I have literally spent my entire career creating and building businesses that either didn't exist or didn't exist in the fashion that they did when I left, um. So uh, in many instances, this has been a department or a company that was starting up. In other instances, I have gone into broken companies and fixed um, what people thought wasn't fixable. So, uh, you know, I've been really specialized in that area of management. And in the last 10 years, I'm a part of a family that in 2008, is sort of the height of the financial crisis, bought a struggling what we call car haul company. So if you've ever seen those double-decker trucks that are driving down the highway delivering cars, that is what we do. And back then in 2008, we had about 120 employees, many of whom were Teamster. Everybody thought we were going to fail. The economy was literally collapsing all around us. And in my family, we grew up with a very simple philosophy, which is we don't believe in unsolvable problems. So today, we not only survived that economic collapse, the Great Recession, the bankruptcies of two of our largest customers, General Motors and Chrysler. We are the largest company of our kind in North America. We have over 3,500 employees. We are one of the largest woman-owned business enterprises in the country. Um, We I took over the business as chairman, executive chairman in 2014. And I'm very proud, not just of the sort of Cinderella story of growth that we've had, proud of how we've grown that business. We've proven time and again that investing in people works. So it was very counterintuitive in the Great Recession to double down on investing in your team and your people. But that's exactly what we did. We decided to uh, pay for every employee's health insurance premiums, for example, for them and their family. And we've kept our unions strong. We have Teamsters and Machinists. have a couple thousand union members who report to me. We've provided paid parental leave for both men and women to our non-CBA employees. So we've kind of walked the talk. And while too many of our elected officials were under the gold dome talking about how to get folks health care, I've been busy providing it. So I'm very proud that uh, we've grown our business. I'm proud that we've done it the right way. I'm proud that we take care of our people. But I think what the lesson is for Georgia is we need leaders who believe in investing in the future and investing in our people. And my experience in the business world is when you do that, you actually generate generational prosperity, the kind of path to prosperity that can help families not just for one election cycle but for generations to come.
2: Yes. Well, um, let me ask you, uh, you have not been in, you know, Georgia Senate or any government offices You've been doing all this great work in the business world. What made you decide to run for uh, Lieutenant Governor of Georgia?
1: You know, there were a couple of things. Uh, First of all, I think not being a career politician is probably one of the best qualifications right now. If you look at the work of our state Senate, uh, clearly the careerists aren't getting it done in the Republican leadership. If you think about what happened in session this year, the current Republican leadership of our state Senate, where the lieutenant governor is the presiding officer – they focused on things like football players kneeling on a field or discriminating against couples who want to give one of the record all time high 15,000 children in foster care in Georgia a home. Um, where's the resolution or the bill that they worked on to fix rural health care or rural broadband or to make sure my kids who go to public schools are safe and that they can focus on getting educated and realizing their potential at school, not cowering in a closet somewhere in an active shooter drill. They've got their priorities all wrong. Um, So I think part of what drove me to run for office is I'm just tired of seeing the same guys elected over and over again even though they refuse to do the work people need. They're not getting the results families need. We've got 63 counties without a pediatrician. We've got 79 counties without an OBGYN. As of last Wednesday, July 31st, when Chesity Regional closed, we've lost seven rural hospitals since 2013. These are not numbers that would get you to keep your job in my boardroom or in my company. You'd be fired and you'd be replaced with somebody who could actually do the work. Um, so for me, it's about getting results. It's about doing the work that matters to families, to working families in particular. Um, I want everybody, no matter what they look like or how much money their parents have or, you know, who they love or how or if they pray, in every corner of Georgia, I want them to believe a story like mine is possible. You can go from a working family Public education, and you can go as far as your dreams will take you. And the reason I chose lieutenant governor is I think that's the place where strategically we can make a difference. We can help prioritize the order of bills and legislation on the Florida State Senate. We can make sure things like RIFRA get to the back of the line and never get make it to a governor's desk. But on the other hand, if people want to work on Um, getting rid of gerrymandering, making sure that voters can choose their representatives and not the other way around. If they want to fund our public schools in a sustainable 21st century manner, if they want to make sure we can fix access to affordable health care for our folks, that stuff can go to the front. Um, And it's a great fit for me from a skill set perspective, too. If you think about what I do as a chairman of a large business, my job is to make sure 2,000 union employees 1,500 non-union employees, institutional investors, an independent board of directors, a world-class management team, and Fortune 100 companies are all on the same page, and that we can deliver results even when those factions don't agree with each other. And I think we could use a little bit more of that approach in the Senate. Yes.
2: Um, I may reserve a right to ask an issue question towards the end, but I'm going to pass it on to my co-hosts, Catherine and Tim. Catherine?
3: Sure. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, we, as I think David said when we were introducing you, this is the first candidate we've had on in a long time because we haven't had a lot of candidates in the last couple of years. So we really appreciate having you on tonight. I wanted to ask you. Thanks some, for you having touched me. On it, you touched on it just now, um, presiding over the Senate, the Georgia Senate, for a Democrat is going to be a real mm-hmm. challenge. Um, obviously you, you'll have some, you'll have some control over the um, agenda, but there's also going to be a lot of pressure on on you. I would imagine from, because I, we're not going to be uh, taking back control of the Senate in this cycle because we just don't have enough candidates running, but that's another story. Um, so, How how do you think you'll be able to, you know, stop things like rifra and access to health care and limits on women's reproductive health, including birth control and abortion and all the things that our Republicans just love to bring to the Senate and to to both uh, both uh, houses? What's your um, what's your strategy going to be?
1: Well, I think there's a number of things. So, number one, I think there are certain areas where it should not matter what your party affiliation is. You should want to do your job. If you are in that state Senate, it should be important to you that people in our state, especially the 163,000 children who currently do not have health insurance in Georgia, um, the people, half a million Georgians who fall in the Medicaid gap, it should be important to you, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or anything in between, that those folks have access to health care. And, and by the way, getting access to health care and making sure that we stop the rural health care crisis and the rural hospital closures that are happening all over the state is not just a moral issue, and believe me, it is that, um, but it's an economic issue. Business owners, people like me, know that we're not bringing companies offices factories jobs to locations without school systems our folks can go to or send their kids to we're not taking jobs to places where folks have to drive an hour or hour and a half to have a baby in a hospital Um, this is a real economic issue and if you want to create jobs for more than just the next election cycle You need to make these investments in healthcare, education, and infrastructure. So my point of view is sometimes we need to reframe the issue, but this isn't partisan. This is about whether or not you want to take care of the people of Georgia. That's number one. Number two is the demographics of Georgia are changing, and so is the Republican Party. And the confluence of those two events will put many of the Republican state legislators' seats and jobs at risk over the coming years. And if they want a chance to keep them, they should agree to work on the issues where we can collaborate, whether that's independent redistricting, whether that's a sustainable way to fund our public schools. They have a vested self-interest in actually putting some points on the board. And as Democrats, we've got to learn to work with folks who disagree with us on other things. You know, we're not always going to convert everybody on every issue. But if there's one issue where we can work together and get progress for Georgia, we need to be relentless in the pursuit of that progress. Um, And then the third thing I would say is, look, if I win this job, I will be the first woman to ever hold that office in Georgia. And one of very few women, apart from, of course, I believe Stacey Abrams, uh, to hold statewide elected office in the Deep South as a Democrat. And I think the Republicans are really going to need to think twice before they want to play obstructionist. They're going to need to think about whether or not it's worth it to them to take that on. We're going to have a media platform, and we're going to be on the right side of the argument in terms of, again, doing the actual work and taking care of our people and making the appropriate investments for long-term prosperity in Georgia. So, you know, I think we're in a really good position as Democrats. And, again, for me, I don't mind working with folks who disagree with me. Um, I haven't always been a Democrat. I've been a Republican. I've been an independent. Uh, Coming back to the Democratic Party felt like coming home to me. I feel it best represents my values. Uh, But I try to find a way to get along with almost anybody. And anyone who wants to solve a problem, I'm all in. I will work with you, no matter the letter next to your name on the ballot. But what I will not tolerate is people who refuse to do the job. The reality is politics is the only place in this country where you can refuse to do the work and keep your job, and it shouldn't be like that. But, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. I've done things people have told me were impossible my whole life. Nobody thought the kid from Joplin, Missouri was going to Washington and Lee. They sure as heck didn't think the girl from the Ozarks was going to Harvard Business School. Uh, they didn't think a 90-year-old industrial trucking company could be run by a woman, let alone did they think profits would go up considerably when a woman took over. I've done things people said weren't possible my whole life, and I don't think it will be any different running that center.
3: That great answer. Uh, Tim, on to Tim for his question. Good
0: evening, Ms. Amico. Thank you for being with us I tonight. Um, what's the biggest issue in this election?
1: Health care. It's health care. I mean, look, we go in every corner of the state because I believe in campaigning in every part of the state. I have been up in Raven County where I met a woman who had a heart attack with no health insurance. Um, And Mm -hmm. in five years, she hasn't had proper checkups. And I said, what what do you do? Her name was Robbie. And she said, well, I try to eat like they told me to, and I try to exercise like they told me to. And if I'm really desperate, I go to the ER, and I hope for the best. But the thing I worry about is what happens to my kids if something happens to me. And, you know, I met a 27-year-old young man named Dalton. Um, who was born with a heart defect and later in life developed hypertension, and he has a hard time affording his medicines. And the health conditions make it hard for him to keep a job, which makes it even harder for him to get health care. I went down to southwest Georgia in the opposite corner of the state a couple weeks ago, and I stood in front of Stuart Webster Hospital, 25-bed hospital, closed in 2013, Mm -hmm. um, partly because of our state's refusal to expand Medicaid and accept a return of $33 billion of our own tax money back here to help folks in Georgia have health care. Um, I've seen it in uh, working families in Atlanta. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, um, young or old, if you're a minority or Caucasian, uh, and candidly, uh, if you're gay, straight, man, woman, Republican or Democrat, health care is impacting your family in some way. And the sad truth mm-hmm. of the matter is the Republican leadership of this state right now has refused to fix it. And they've been in the majority for over a decade, guys. If they were going to fix it, if they had some great grand solution, we'd have seen it by now. They've had every constitutional office in this state. They've had majorities in both houses. They knew the problem needed fixing. They either are unwilling or unable to fix it. So for me, it's health care. And I would say a close second behind that you've got to look at education and accountability just the refusal of some folks in government to actually be accountable for delivering results to our people
0: mhm now now you mentioned your background in the uh public school system and uh noticed that that you send your uh, own children to public schools So you are Mm -hmm. a very strong proponent of the future of the public school system in this state. Is that correct?
1: I am. I'm also the granddaughter of a 20-plus-year public school teacher and the daughter-in-law of a public school teacher over in Italy. My husband's a naturalized American citizen. He wasn't born here but chose to be an American.
0: Oh, wow. Um, one, One more thing I want to wheel to, and it's about your business background. Mm -hmm. Does your business background affect how you view economics in this state going forward?
1: Absolutely. Um, It it affects my view of economic development in this state in many ways. Number one is too Mm -hmm. often I think Georgians um, are, in particular, the current Republican leadership, and too many business owners are scared of unions. And I'm a proud Teamster and Machinist company, and they are highly skilled, highly accountable people who do incredible work for us. And we operate at unionized assembly factories for major American auto manufacturers like Ford and General Motors. Um, and candidly, they're some of my best allies in building not just our business but the kind of business I want to have. Um, You know, our average driver makes $70,000 a year. Many of them make more than $100,000. They have full health, welfare, pension. Um, You know, too many politicians go on TV and, you know, they talk about these great jobs that will move folks into the middle class and let working families send their kids to college. Uh, But that's all they do is talk. I'm actually creating those jobs, thousands of them. And so Mm -hmm. it's changed my view. It's not a coincidence. Um, you know, I, I think we've really tried to walk the talk. Um, it's changed my view of healthcare. The reality is when politicians tell us that it's too expensive to expand Medicaid or it's too problematic or too difficult or too expensive to solve the rural healthcare care crisis, um, I see that in the end employers are suffering anyway, right? We pay for insurance premiums for our Jack Cooper, my company's employees. And those costs are going up and up and up, and there's absolutely crickets from our state's leaders about how to fix that, except that we should just provide less coverage to folks, which is essentially, by the way, a pay cut. Um, So it's changed my perspective about why leadership matters. You know, in the end, a lot of us in the business community have taken the position, whether it's on health care or whether it's on paid parental leave or whether it's on climate issues. We've just decided we don't need a law to tell us what the right thing to do is. We're going to lead ahead of where our government, because too often our state governments or our Congress are dysfunctional, and they're not actually solving the problems.
0: Hmm. Um, One more question for you, and then I'm going to throw it back to David. The latest polling shows that there's a partisan divide in Georgia of 33 percent Democrat 37 percent Republican, and 30 percent independent or other. So obviously any statewide candidate has to attract voters other than just their party base. So we have a lot of those listeners listening to us tonight, both Republican and independent, as well as our, our Democratic listeners. What would attract Republican and independent voters, to you as a candidate, what would you like to say to those voters?
1: Well, I appreciate the question. I think, um, you know, as somebody who was a Republican and has been an independent and is now a proud Democrat, uh, I sympathize. I think the Republican Party in many ways has been hijacked by something that looks nothing like the party of Lincoln Uh, You can't be the party of Lincoln Mm -hmm. and leave the work of the civil rights movement unfinished. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to call yourself the party of family values when you take screaming infants away from their mothers at the border. Um, I'm I'm sympathetic. Uh, You know, it used to be the party of business. And then look at what's happened now between the tariffs that are hurting our farmers, um, a nasty political move on the part of our current lieutenant governor to strip tax credits away from Delta Airlines the state's largest Mm -hmm. employer, uh, Mm -hmm. over a tussle with the NRA. You know, this isn't the Republican party of Ronald Reagan. I grew up, you know, in the eighties watching Ronald Reagan and the space shuttle program and hearing my dad tell the story about being on a plane in the 1980 miracle on ice when we beat the Russians and the captain buying a round of drinks for the whole plane. You know, this, (laughs) this is not the Republican party of 2018. And, and it's, it's hard, but what I what I would say is I think there's a lot of good people who maybe feel orphaned politically. Maybe they're not Republicans anymore. They think of themselves as independents because the parties have let them down. Um, or, you know, they may have been a Republican, but they understand the audio doesn't match the video, so to speak, on values right now for the Republican Party. And what I would say to them is give me a chance. I, I, I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to represent the things that matter to your family. And I'm not going to be sidetracked by these small wedge issues that convince us we have more to fear from our neighbors than from, you know, a guy driving a deportation bus around the state running for governor. Mm. That's that's not who we are as Americans. I don't think that's who they are as voters. And so give me a chance. Let me hear what matters to you and your family. I am going to be laser-focused on opportunity for everyone I'm going to put the kind of long-term economic planning and development into the state, just like I've done in businesses for 15 years. Um, I'm going to stand up for communities of faith, just like the one I'm in. Uh, I'm an evangelical Christian, but I'm not going to let my faith be used as an excuse to discriminate against anyone. And I don't think they should either. Um, We're going to stand up for the stuff like healthcare, infrastructure, education, and accountability, um, Basic democratic institutions, these shouldn't be partisan issues, and that's exactly where I'm going to focus, and I would say watch my campaign. This is this is the request I would make. If you're a Republican or an independent voter or you just don't know what to think about politics anymore, I get it, and here's what I'd tell you. Watch our campaigns this year. My campaign will be focused exclusively on a positive vision to build the people of Georgia and its future and its potential There will not be time or a need to tear anybody down. Anybody who's running on negative personal attacks in this campaign season, they're doing it because they don't have good ideas and a track record of results that they can run on. And the reality is if they can't keep it together and stay on the high road for the next four months, they have absolutely no chance of representing your family's best interests for the next four years.
0: And uh, thank you for that. Excellent answer to that question. With that, I'm going to throw it over to David. David?
2: Yes. Well, we want to thank you for coming on, but before we let you go, I want to give you the chance, if people want to find out more about you uh, between websites and social media or any other way they could get a hold of information about you or your campaign, now's your chance to share.
1: Thank you so much, Dave, and thank you, Tim and Catherine, as well. I appreciate you all having me on. Um, If you want to learn more, one of the best places to go is our website. That's www.sarahforgeorgia.com. That's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, for for Georgia spelled out, dot com. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Riggs We're also on Facebook at Sarah Riggs and And candidly, send us a message. If you have questions or concerns, um, if you want to believe you can pull the lever for a Democrat, Um, if you want to volunteer but, you know, you don't know or you're not sure how to do it, the great thing about not being a politician by career is I actually still think I have to answer your question. So if you reach out to me, I'm happy to put a call out to you. I'll I'll have you show up at an event. I'll tell you where we're going to be. I'm not taking anything for granted in this race, and I'd love for you guys to learn what we're about, keep an eye on our campaign, and keep us accountable. Um, I want to run a campaign that puts Georgians front and center and your interests above every other interest. So thank you so much for the opportunity, and I hope you all will take the time to check us out.
2: Yes. Well, good luck to you in the campaign.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. Have a good night.
2: You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. That was Sarah Riggs candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Democratic nominee. Uh, good to have a candidate on. She was very thorough in her answers. Um, very good. did a great good. job. Yeah. So uh, find out more about her, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about it. More, as more polls come out, like I alluded to, um, she actually had in the first public poll between her and her Republican opponent. She has a, a small lead um, in the polls. So um, interesting to see Well let's kind of transition back to another national issue uh, One where politics and sports comes together And it kind of came (laughs) up as LeBron James was trying to say That sports is something that should bring us together Um, It should be where people don't get divided Um, you, You divide by team loyalties But both Democrats and Republicans, white, black Great gay everybody can cheer for one team And then else in another city The same collection of folks And that city can root against the other team But it's not about uh, You know political feelings In this case and how Donald Trump Has really divided people Um, What really struck me Is LeBron James was so Talented when he came out um, Of high school basketball He was able to go straight to the NBA No problem did not go to College but yet He's so articulate. It's kind of like you know when he retires. He really needs to you know, go to college um, to then take the next steps because he's the kind of person that probably, especially being at 30-something at that point or maybe even 40, um, no telling what he could do in a, a college environment because um, he is you know, so intelligent. Um, but I guess I see something different than Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump not only managed to insult LeBron James' intelligence, he also insulted Don Lemon's intelligence. You're really doing good (laughs) when you compare two people and you figure out how to insult both of them. Um, But I guess that was what he was driving at. Um, Tim, I don't know if you saw the interview with Don Lemon, and I'm sure you've seen the fallout afterward with the president's tweet. And then he brought Michael Jordan into it. Michael Jordan then – You know, defending LeBron James. And then there'll be another big one we'll get to later, but we'll save that one. Why why does Donald Trump do this?
0: You know, I don't know. I saw the interview, and James essentially took the president to task for dividing the country and for using sports in some cases uh, to do it. along with some other things he took him to task for. But I've heard a lot of people in interviews say that and much, much, much worse. But apparently that night, Trump was watching CNN and this interview in particular uh, because he went after both James and Lemon on Twitter. Well, here's the quote. LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon, he made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. I like Mike, I guess a reference to Michael Jordan. And and as you mentioned, David, a lot of celebrities came to Lemon and James' defense. But I, I, want, I want to say one thing uh, before I send it over to Catherine. Here. I could not help but notice that Trump did not – Attack LeBron James When he went to Ohio For that rally Saturday night uh, the, I believe that's Because some people might Have booed him and, and and Trump's You, you know uh, He avoids stuff like that because I think He's a coward uh, He only <laughs> attacks people when He can't be attacked back To his face right Catherine
3: That's right I, I just you know I think this is another example of uh the president not liking the fact that LeBron James is so well liked, right? I mean everybody I mean I you know I don't it's my impression that he's very well liked. He does a lot of good things in various communities. He's um you know a stand-up guy, right? Is that right? Am I right about that? Like he's not one of the he's not a troublemaker really. Um, And he's beloved. And and I just think that this drives our president crazy that someone is more popular than he is. And so he he, that's those are the people he attacks uh, time and time again. And uh, it makes him look, you know, childish and petty. And I mean, why and why is he watching CNN anyway? I thought he didn't watch CNN. Um and then to you know, <laughs> talk about how he's stupid. I mean it's just it's just so unpresidential, which is a big surprise with this president. But I Yeah,
2: and, I just and think he, um Yeah. Sorry, Catherine, I'm sorry. Um
3: Yeah,
2: it it and another thing before we get to the thing that even makes this all the more interesting, um <laughs> You know, CNN has one African American host, and LeBron James is, you know, probably the probably the biggest sports star in America, but definitely the biggest African American sports star. Um, Why would you knowing knowing the um, history of leaders like people like Hitler, where when there's such a minefield examining? the um intelligence of any african american and in this case it, you just you just sound totally stupid uh because neither one of those gentlemen are unintelligent i mean it's just nonsense but why would you get into that minefield unless you want to be there cuz you know that a lot of your supporters uh that that race is a motivating factor not all but some it is a big motivating factor Tim, do you think that it was actually calculated to gin up his base to attack um, somebody like LeBron James and somebody like Don Lemon?
0: Yeah, that that could be, that that's a lot of it, and the combination of the sports thing that LeBron James mentioned. Why is Trump attacking the one thing that? Unifies most people In this country As LeBron James said So eloquently In that very interview Why does the president Choose to do this Has he been looking For some way to attack the NBA Because he's managed To attack about everyone else Uh, What is it Uh, uh, Is he trying To gin his base up for the midterms, and we're going to see more and more and more and more and more of this, even more than we normally do. Uh, and and why pick out LeBron James to do it with? Uh, yeah, Catherine made a point. He never watches CNN. Well, why'd he happen to be watching it that night? Uh, just so happened he thought he'd turn on CNN while Don Lemon w- was interviewing LeBron James. Uh Uh, I I smell something and it don't smell good, right?
2: Well, I'll say this. I do know that pieces of that interview promoted out uh, prior to the interview Um, actually happening. I actually DVR'd the interview. Um, But in the sports world, which I don't think this is where Donald Trump got it, he actually made his first comment about playing for the Lakers. And then in the political world, he did – Actually, you know, I think at some point in the past on Twitter And it was re-examined He called Donald Trump a bum um, And so I think, you know, Donald Trump knew it was going to come on Or his advisor knew it was going to come on So that may be why he actually watched it Or watched a recording of it um, after the fact uh, But now, let's get into what ended up being Maybe the most intriguing part of this whole thing um, The First Lady, I mean... Hours after the tweet, released the statement supporting LeBron James. I mean, this is not in the First Lady's wheelhouse as far as charter schools or NBA analysis. Um, But she took the time to actually release this statement. And, of course, we heard about how the TV, her TV was tuned to CNN. And another statement was released that she'll watch whatever TV she wants. And then when the the president's uh, division policy, um, she released a statement against that, too. But to me, of those three statements, this is the one that is the most kind of in your face because it goes directly against her husband's tweet about a specific person. What, what, uh, Catherine, what do you think she was thinking, and do you think we're going to see more of this?
3: Oh, I don't know. I I, I was surprised by this. she must be at a point where she doesn't care. <laughs> what what he thinks? I don't know. I don't. Ha- I I I can't really get into her mind and think about what what's on it. And I, I, Lord knows I can't get into his. So I'm not sure what it means, but I, I like it, and I hope it keeps coming. <laughs>
2: yeah, Tim. I'll be honest. After the performance at the Republican National Convention where she completely plagiarized, I really didn't think there was much there. I, I'll just be honest. I didn't think there was, there was a lot going on, a lot of sophistication. The fact that she's standing up for herself, if this is, and because I don't think it's coming from her advisors, I think this is coming for her. I'm seeing a much more complex picture. Um, I, I'm much more intrigued. I want to give her more credit. Than I did back in the summer of 2016 Um, What are your thoughts?
0: Well uh, I'm I'm really over there with Catherine Not knowing what to think To be honest with you It it is very apparent to me That he's never cared what his wife Thought about much of anything Um, It's almost as if She's ignoring him, and there's no person over there saying these other things, as she says, the very opposite. Uh, In the past, we have – although we've seen presidents and first ladies disagree on some policy issues, I mean um, they're, they're disagreeing on insults now. (laughs) it's it's, it's, it's just part of the comedy tour once again that that is the uh donald trump white house uh I, i i don't know what to think i i don't know how they live under the same roof i i don't know how they get on the same plane together they they don't often do that uh I I I just don't know. I guess I guess the woman just tunes out the public utterances that he says and just pursues her own over in the east wing. I I I don't know how to explain it, David. Perhaps you can. Yeah,
2: I have a feeling if more things happen, we can get deeper into this, and I have some more thoughts because I do think this is different than some of the other um, political um, marriages we've seen where the people may have had an issue in their marriage, but they were still on the same political page. I don't know if they're not on the same political page, or she doesn't care that much about his political agenda, so therefore she's just going to flame him and troll him at every turn. Either way, it, it could get... Quite interesting Um, We got just a few minutes And there is a special election coming up If I'm not mistaken This Tuesday in Ohio It's another congressional seat uh, Based in Westerville Suburban Columbus It's another Republican Leaning seat But of course something has to be Uber Republican To not be in play these days And the latest poll actually shows The Democrat a point up In this thing Um, Catherine how do you how is it, think the things are going to go? Uh,
3: it's, I think it's going to be a late night for Ohio uh, vote watchers. Um, it looks like it's going to be pretty tight, and um, I, I kind of like the way the candidate is running his campaign. He seems to be really focusing on the things that matter to Ohioans that may not be as popular with some of our more left-leaning Democrats, but I think he seems to have this – his finger on the pulse of ohio so good for him i hope he succeeds
2: yeah tim i thought Katherine's was going to say hey he's in columbus ohio and he's not covering up uh some type of investigation at the university hey good for him
3: <laughs> um
0: because
2: that's something we didn't get into a sports issue that impacts politics uh tim what do you think on this race
0: well, it's going to be the last major test for both parties before November. The whole country's watching this. The Republicans are clear, clearly worried. That's why they even sent Trump in there last night. Um, this is a GOP district, a, a Balderson loss, uh, the Republican nominee. It, it would signal massive momentum for the Democrats and perhaps a, a, a wave forming. um Uh, O'Connor has just been hammering Balderson for supporting The tax cut We're going to see how that works Uh, And of course the Republicans Are trying to tie O'Connor To Pelosi Uh, Seven weeks ago this was An 11 point race And and you just mentioned the polling now Uh, Another thing How is Trump going to play here Uh, 86% Of the Balderson vote are Trump supporters and ninety three percent of the O'Connor uh vote in these polls are people who cannot stomach Trump. The average Republican candidate, one more thing, guys, in any race, state, senate or whatever, when they've run in this district in the last twenty years they've won by an average of twenty one points. That shows where we are right now and who is energized to vote, right? That's right. Definitely. Yeah,
2: I, I'll go on a limb. I think that Daniel O'Connor is going to win because it seems like if you even within a point or two in the public polling, because they're going to do voter models where the, they have to make it look like what's been seen in the past, and I understand exactly why pollsters have to do that. They undersample the Democratic momentum. I, I mean, I feel for them, but that means if he if he's polling up by one, he may win by like three or four points. Um you know, Democrats outperform the voter model, uh, and some interesting things. And it seems <laughs> like Donald Trump is so toxic that he could gin up Democratic votes and then get out the vote effort just as well as he could um, gin up Republicans. And you think if it's a suburban district, either a he's going to turn off some traditional Republicans like we've been seeing, or those people that attack Jim Acosta that love him so. There's probably not going to be that many in this district. It's just, I would guess, because I've been to Columbus in the last few years, I just don't know that um, that city, the suburban area of that city, would have uh, you know supporters that would fit that profile that may be underperforming voting Republicans that you can turn out. Uh, maybe they're parts of the city I wasn't familiar with when I went, but big college town, Ohio State's one of the largest universities in the country, so you would think that it would have a higher college-educated uh, population or people that aspired to college. Um, and th- that's just not a good profile for the Republican Party in the last few years. So um, I think it will be a fascinating election to watch. And if Democrats win it, it will just be more momentum. And there will be more things we can discuss out of that in future weeks on the Cudsey Vine.
3: Good night, okay. guys.
2: Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all.